You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. get into it. I'm turning my timer on because we want to do something special this morning. We kicked off our year with a series called New and just went so well. And some of you folk have uh, just already started experiencing new things. But as you heard, we're beginning a new series this morning, My Father's House. You know, Jesus used this phrase when he was bringing assurance to his followers. John 14, verse 1, he's about to leave them. And he says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. There's a lot of people in the world today who are troubled. They don't live in peace. You know, just because we have a peaceful nation doesn't mean that we are a people of peace. Peace isn't necessarily the absence of conflict. It's the presence of something that's greater than conflict. And Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. You can't have peace without trust. You've got to trust somebody. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. He went on in the next verse to say, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come and I'll I'll get you and I'll take you back there to be with me. Which was an amazing thing. So no matter what takes place, you can be secure because when you are in Christ, you belong to the Father's house. Pure and simple. And as human beings, we've got this innate longing within us to belong. We want to belong to someone special. You always look for that someone special. Who knew when you first met your spouse that, that he or she was the someone special? Put up your hand. You better put up your hand, Harvey. She did first. I know Janet put up her hand. It was so for her, not for me. It took me some time. Yeah, you had it right then. It took me a week. I'm slow, as you know, from Alabama. We do things slowly. But, but we also want to belong to something significant. In Psychology Today, in an article that they posted, they said this, why do we need to belong? A sense of belonging is a human need, just like the need for, future, uh, for food and shelter. Feeling that you belong is most important in seeing value in life, and this is interesting, and coping with intensely painful emotions. A sense of belonging to a greater community improves your motivation, health, and happiness. Isn't that interesting? You know what they're saying? They're just reiterating truth that God has told us all along. We need to belong. Belonging was instituted by God from the very beginning. He created Adam to belong with him and to him. Then he created Eve to belong with Adam so they could belong to God together. God himself lives in community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Multitude of angels. Belonging. Which is important. And in that scripture we read, there's a couple of things that come out of there. Let me run through these quickly. Belonging was formed by inclusion in the Father's house. When you are in Christ, you're included in the Father's house. You are an integral part of the family regardless of your race, gender, or economic status. Thank God you don't have to be someone special to become someone special. Secondly, belonging is strengthened by care, is experienced by care from the Father's house. Jesus cared about us so much, he gave his life so we could enter that house. 
Think about it. He wasn't just going away. He was going away through the cross. There was no entrance into the Father's house except through a doorway called Calvary. The cross. And he cared so much that we didn't belong that he gave his life so we could belong. And he set a precedent saying, in my father's house, there will be the value of care. Now, this is not a theory. This is a lifestyle. It's about compassion and justice and equity. Stay with me. I'm going to lead you to something in a few minutes. Belonging also, we'll see, is strengthened by commitment to the father's house. Jesus set the standard when he made that huge commitment and laid down his life. But he set a standard for us also and said, hey, look. Being in the Father's house isn't simple attendance or mild devotion like visiting your least favorite coffee house, right? You're stronger when you make the decision to be committed to each other. I I know this is going to ruffle feathers, but I'm sorry. You cannot be everything God has destined you to be alone. There is no such thing as a strong, alone Christian. That's like saying, cut your finger off, it lays over there, and it will get stronger than the rest of you. The reverse will happen, it'll die. It's not connected to the source of life. Commitment to the Father's house. Stronger when you're together. Paul even said in Romans 12, 5, and this is, this is radical. You realize that when you become a Christian, you're in Christ, you actually belong to each other? Hello? That's a bit different than today's movie ticket. I'll go to that movie today. This is quite radically different. And there's significance in belonging to the Father's house. And that significance was displayed right at the beginning and the birth of the church. We're going to go there. And you're going to see these qualities of inclusion, care, commitment played out in this new community. They Christianized the word ecclesia, which was a gathering to become the gathering of God's people, the church. And you're going to see this in the church where they had a strong sense of belonging to the Father's house. So if you want to take your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 2. What we're going to do, we're just going to kind of jump our way through to a point. Um, I wish we had a lot of time to unpack a lot of it, and we don't because we're going to do something really special. Well, I like that clock. It gives me more time. Um, and we're going we're gonna to do something really special that's going to be a prophetic moment. It's going to be significant. It's going to be powerful. It's going to be dream building. It's going to be faith building. And we're going to land on that in a few minutes. And, and it'll set us up for 2019. But before we do that, we're going to go to Acts 2 and begin at verse 44. Are you there? Oh, two people. How many got their Bibles today? Let me see. Mm-hmm. I see the electronic ones. They're good. Where's Simeon? Where's your analog? You didn't bring your analog today. Yep. All right. Acts 2, verse 44. Watch this. Right here at the beginning. All the believers were together. Simple phrase. There's no unity without being together. There's no strength without being together. There's no belonging without being together. But it's more than just physically because they had everything in common. You know what that means? There's this unity that is deeper than just meeting in a building. Verse 45, and this is how strong it was. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. That's pretty strong. 
on care, commitment. Flip over to Acts 4, verse 32. Sometime after Pentecost, Acts 4, 32, we'll see similar things. Ready? All the believers were one in heart and mind. Belonging begins in the heart and the mind. It doesn't begin in an organized activity. It begins in here. Okay? No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. Who drove the new Mustang to church this morning? Because I want to tell you, it's not yours. I'm driving it after the service. (laughs) Nobody here. You're not going to own it now. That was my first car in 1960-whatever. 400 bucks I paid for it. Bet you paid. Anyway, digressing. The Mustang was not his own. Anyway, they shared everything they had. Verse 33. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. Who's all? Not just the apostles, everybody in the church. All right, keep going. There were no needy persons among them. I don't know if you know, but behind the scenes, we have bought appliances, cars, furniture, clothing for people who we wouldn't embarrass them to bring them up and hand them the keys here, but because they were so needy and they had no ability to do that, like single parents, and we've done that over the years, this is exactly the kind of commitment to care the church talks about. There were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses... Oh, I just, I'm getting a vision right now. Every one of you that have investment properties are meant to go sell them and bring me your money next week. So, no, no, I'm kidding. But this is literally what happened. They sold it, brought the money from the sales, and they put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. How radical is that? How strong is that commitment? There's no tinkling of coins in a bucket to tip God when the offering happens. They're laying down properties. Okay, let's keep going. Because something radical was taking place, something that caught the attention of the city. They had never witnessed inclusion, care, commitment at this level before. I'm going to get in context here in a minute. They took what they had and they used it for the kingdom of God. We're going to jump forward now about five years. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Much quicker, guys, with the analog. Look, I'm there. You've got to go. Anyway, it just feels better in the hand. This, this. Simo, you've backslidden. No wonder you're out of sorts today. No, you're just tired from the conference. Okay, here we go. Church is only five years old. Verse 1, in those days... When the number of disciples was increasing, the lowest figure that scholars will put on the church by this time is somewhere around the 10,000. The lowest figure. We are now talking in five years from nothing to megachurch proportions. Radically, powerfully, people are getting saved. But something happened. The Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Stop. This is weird to us because we have welfare. We have Centerlink. Not that it's wrong, it's an awesome thing. We have Medicare. We have single parents and older people taken care of, to some degree, by the government. Not so in that day. The government was not responsible for anybody, even in their daily needs. So 
the Jews set up a system whereby if, if a woman was a widow, she could come daily to a table where they would distribute food to her daily and she could survive if she had no relatives. The first port of care in those days was your relatives. So all of a sudden, we've got a mixture of people in Jerusalem. We've got pure blood Jews, born in Palestine, raised in Palestine, dresses Palestinian, speaks Aramaic, eats lentil food all the time. But then we've also got this group of people. They look Greek. They sound Greek. They smell like garlic. They speak a different language. They do not look like Jews. They have Jewish blood in them, but nothing gives it away that they're Jewish. They have come to the Holy Land to to commit their life to God just before they die. And they find themselves in this city isolated, ostracized, because you're second class. You're not like us. There's no daily distribution of food for their widows. So a, a Grecian Hebrew, a Grecian Jewish woman, her husband dies, she is left without any sustenance or source of survival. She gets born again. She goes into this dynamic community called the church. Things are good at first, but the church gets bigger, bigger, bigger. All of a sudden, she and people like her are pushed to the back, and again, this, this second-class kind of injustice slips in like it normally would. And we get to Acts 6. And the men step forward to the apostles and say, this isn't right. We see these women going without. We've laid down our houses for this, and you're using it for your people only. Five years, the church has exploded, and it is a mega church, but five years, it is now facing the possibility of the first church split in history. Hmm. So what are the apostles going to do? The 12, verse 2, gathered all the disciples together. Here's a point. If this community is going to be everything God has designed it to be, caring, including, committing, it has to be by all the people, not just the leaders. Don't miss the point. If we are meant to be everything God has meant us to be in this city and beyond, it cannot just be 20% of the people. You know the average, don't you? 20% of the people in any given church do 80% of the work. That went quiet. You're now figuring whether you're in the 20%. But that's the stat that's out there. Why not change it? They gather all the people together. And they said, wouldn't it be right for us to neglect, now I want you to watch the wording, the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Oh, that's a menial task. In the original language, the word ministry and the word wait on tables is the exact same word, meaning serve or minister. It is not a menial task. It is not something that's purely administrative for non-spirit-filled people to do. Matter of fact, the qualification is they have to be filled with wisdom and the Holy Spirit. It is as much a ministry. Helping, serving, encouraging, waiting on people is as much a ministry as preaching a sermon. Anyway, 
become the majority. Change the stat. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them. If you've got a new King James Bible, it says we'll turn this business over to them. This was a large-scale venture. When you're talking about the possessions of a mega church, and you've got to distribute it with equity, we're not talking about doling out little potato chips. We're talking about something pretty big. And when we do this, we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And it's amazing to watch this community wrestle with a sense of belonging because belonging creates challenges. Everybody thinks belonging is about the big hug. By all means, hug each other. Just don't hug me. I'm not... You want a, you want a, a, a huggable bear? Go find Darren. I think Tim will be happy to hug you. Yeah? Mm. <laughs> okay, I heard that. But I want to tell you, belonging is far more than just a feeling. Belonging creates challenges. And this, this young church is facing a challenge that has a risk. And the risk is this new community could implode on the spot. And all of Jerusalem would look and go, yeah, we thought that was going to happen. Got too big too quick, didn't you? Too big for your britches. The answer, people, wasn't to stop the growth so they could remain a small-knit community. Listen to me. Could you imagine someone saying to the apostles, hey, listen, I've got a solution. How about we send out the Grecian Hebrews over there to start the first church of the Grecian Christians, and we'll be on our side of the city, the first church of the Hebraic Christians. That's the answer. We'll send them off in their own little ethnic group. We're getting too big. Could you imagine somebody saying to the apostles, could we just go back to the upper room where there was only 120 of us? You know, over the years, as the church began to grow, I've actually heard people say to me, it's getting too big. We don't know everybody. And I said, hallelujah. You don't want to know everybody. And they don't want to know you. It just gets too complicated. Matter of fact, sociologists tell us you're probably only going to have about six people in your world at any given time that you're really close with. You can't handle more than that. But I've heard people say, it's just getting too big. I wish we could go back the way it used to be. What are we meant to do? Stop growing? Are we supposed to put on our website? The friendliest church in the city. You're not welcome. We're full. You can't belong here. Welcome home with a big red thing through it. You know? Or on, this, on the fence out there. Because we got a Lexus. We go to Lexus every fortnight. They detail our car. And, uh, and the salesman said to me, Hey, I see your signs out there every Sunday and so many people going. That's incredible. Janet, as she does, yeah, come on across. You know? um, imagine us putting up signs on the fence. Victory meets here. Don't bother entering. Like, it's ridiculous, isn't it? But I've had people say, you know, it's getting too big. Listen, the solution to the challenge was to look for the new opportunities to strengthen the church, not lessen the size of the church. Don't miss this. I'm going somewhere, and I've got a very short time to do it. Belonging not only creates challenges, but it will bring opportunities to meet the challenges. You cannot 
hear me, you cannot meet this challenge with programs. The challenge can only be met by people who love each other, who have a sense of calling together, who say, we belong together. And the idea you're going to see here is that the opportunities create new ways of serving and new individuals who are serving. There we go. Oh, sweet home Alabama. Good. That's good. Stop. Tells me I got to finish. But here's the deal, guys. They actually had to learn to care beyond their traditional boundaries. We don't associate with them, they're black. We don't associate with her. She used to be a prostitute. We don't have dinner with those people. They live in a lower part of the city. I've had people over the years say to me, Keith, you really got to move out of Mount Hutton. I said, why? And they said, well, you're bigger than that. You, you deserve something better. I got news for them. Houses in Mount Hutton now are pushing 600,000. See, we just lift the atmosphere in the neighborhood. <laughs> this kind of mentality just behooves me. I'm so glad when I got born again because I was from a single mom's home and had no church background, kind of a rat bag, that they just accepted me as I was. They didn't say, go sit in the corner. Mind you, I'm sad to say that where we did our student pastorate in Virginia, we had a revival meeting, as you do in Virginia, and a brand new Christian couple owned a, uh, a wood mill, a business, so most of their employees were black Virginians. Now, when I got born again, God immediately shifted in my heart that prejudice um, against black people. It, it was miraculous. I didn't even have to think about it. It just happened. But, but so this couple brought to the revival meeting... Uh, I, Janet and I had to work. It was midweek. We didn't get to go to the meeting because we were working our other job. Anyway, this young couple, brand new Christians, brought this black couple who works for the business to the revival meeting. And as they walk in, they go and sit with a couple. The pastor told me, who I was working under, saw people remove themselves from them. The revivalist who was preaching gave one of the typical hellfire brimstone Tennessee wind-sucking messages, you know. Black couple, first people down the front, give their heart to Jesus. And you think they'd be rejoicing, right? I get a phone call at midnight from the pastor. That's about the time I got home from work. I'm, I'm the student associate, and he says, tells me what had happened. Keith, this happened, and I'm going, wonderful, this is awesome. And he goes, no, it's not. He said, I didn't walk in my front door. Um, without the phone ringing off the hook. There were no mobiles in that day. And so he said, I walked in the door and the phone was ringing off the hook and one member after another member after another member said, are those people going to be allowed to come to our church? And he said, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Those people became your brother and sister tonight. I know, but they can go to their church. They don't belong Pastor rang me and said, Keith, what should I do? I said, what are you going to do, Ron? He said, I don't know. He said, if I let them stay, I'll lose my job and we'll, the church will split. Giving families will walk. 
And I said, and if you tell them they can't stay? Well, all these families will stay and they can perhaps go to a church like theirs. I said, Ron, is that the right thing? That's what Ron did. He tried as gracious as he could to explain to the couple that brought them and the black couple. But the message they heard was, you're not really loved and you don't belong. Both couples walked away from God that night. I'm sad to say that kind of thing exists in a church. And that kind of thing exists in a church. By the way, Ron's job didn't last long after that. Anyway. And I'm sad to say that prejudice still happens inside. Shouldn't be. What did they do? Instead of going back to their prejudiced ways and going, let them create the first church of the Grecian Christians, they said, no, we're going to fix the problem and we're going to choose seven men who will take care of this and do it right. New people with new ministries serving in new ways. We're going to have people walk into our doors at our center there in Charlestown that you don't want to be around in the natural. But God says... Whosoever offends one of these little ones, it's better to have a millstone hung around their neck and cast into the sea. Because we've got to care beyond traditional boundaries. These people, all of a sudden, their heart had changed, and they began to care in ways that was far greater than their natural family ties. And Jesus, the, the apostle said, Choose seven men. Give them this task. Let them do it from wisdom and the Holy Spirit. Wisdom because it's a big business venture. The Holy Spirit because they need the fruit of the Spirit to love. Like Jesus would love. And church, I believe we've been given something that has the opportunity to display the love of God to the city. First and foremost, listen to me, first and foremost, we have been given our identity in this family called victory. We have each other. Welcome home is not a slogan. It's a commitment and a reality. And it's where you're included and you're cared for, but you also make the commitment to love and to serve each other and the mission that we have for influencing this city for the kingdom of God. And now we've got a place, a tangible place, that's not seen as your traditional church where we can open the doors and go, Welcome! Don't miss that. Why? Because you see, growth that happens in the church will impact the city as we begin to do it outside the church. Let me go there just real quick to wrap it up. Because belonging doesn't just create. Belonging initiates growth in the church. Right? Verse 7 says, let's go there. It's an amazing thing. So they start loving the way they're supposed to love. And as a result, the Word of God spread. This wasn't a hug fest. This was a genuine love of Jesus that was so infectious, the church couldn't help but grow. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. They're already a mega church. All of a sudden, growth went boom. Why? Because they loved and cared for and belonged like the church should. And here, listen, miraculous conversions. A large number of priests became obedient to the faith. How good is that? The right kind of growth inside the church will cause an impact outside the church. Listen, 
It's not an issue of either or. Well, we serve in the church or we serve in the city. No, we do both because belonging initiates advancement in the streets outside the church. I love verse 8. It kind of finishes with this, yeah, the church, woo, party. We've just grown again. We've accelerated past the growth barrier. Not verse 8. Now, Stephen, a man. He's not focusing on the big organization. He's saying, one of the seven men that you chose, a man who is full of God's grace and power, watch this, did wonders and miraculous signs where? Among the people. What people? The people of the city. How do you know that? Because he was out in the marketplace. That's where they grabbed him and took him off and stoned him. He was telling people about Jesus and doing miracles right where people work and live. Don't miss this. Because there was this incredible together and belonging inside the church, he was released then to take the love of God outside the church to reach people who would have been unreached. Philip did the same in Samaria. Went straight to Samaria and reached people with the power of the gospel. This is a man who served the church to take care of widows. Now he is used with power outside the church. Take note, he held no office, no title, nothing official, and yet he was anointed with grace and power. Oh, but I, 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 I'm not a preacher. Hallelujah. It's okay. You don't have to stand up here and be silly. Belonging in the Father's house means you're included and cared for. We belong together. Belonging in the Father's house calls for commitment from each other. This is not about casual attendance a couple of times a month as if you were going to the movies. This is about being attached. Belonging will result in growth. If it is healthy belonging, it does not turn inward. It focuses outward. And it will, it will result in growth. The, the radical kind of love and care that we have for each other is attractive. People are longing to be in a, in a family like that. And belonging sends us out with grace and power among the people. Listen, what we've been given must not be contained in a building or in a house. It needs to take place among the people. I am so glad that most of the people who come to faith here come to faith here because you've been out there talking to them. You've been out there praying for them. You've been out there influencing them as salt and light. I am so glad that that's the case. We thank God for so many of you who serve in the house, but you also have the grace and the power of God on your life to serve God out there. We applaud you today. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.